0: 23 1374 and 23 1880 Western Missouri, Brooke Henderson et al. versus Springfield, r 12 School District et al. <coughs>
1: Mr. Busick.
2: Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court. Council. Brooke Henderson and Jennifer Lumley are both educators at Springfield Public Schools in Missouri. They believe in equality and they believe in colorblindness, and they hold faith-based views that inform their belief on race, politics, and the nature of human identity. But during the fevered political climate of 2020, SPS adopted conflicting views to theirs. And while the government is allowed to have a viewpoint, what it may never do is use its role as public employer to compel political advocacy out of its employees. And so in the fall of 2020, when SPS decided to hold mandatory workshops in so-called anti-racism, it crossed an impermissible line when it pressured its employees to adopt beliefs in line with SPSs and become advocates for uh, the district's ideology.
1: Do you know the critical word I don't find anywhere in your briefs? Forum. What is the forum here and what, what kind is it?
2: Right, Your Honor, this is a this is a, a forum where they're entitled to full First Amendment. What is the forum, Your Honor? This is the I believe the middle tier forum which the Supreme Court has used. What
1: is it? Is it? Are we just talking the employee training sessions?
2: We are talking the employee training session, Your Honor. But we are also that's,
1: okay. That that's y- the forum. It's not. It's not speech made to the public.
2: Oh yes, Your Honor. Correct. We were talking about
1: right, and what kind of form is that? That's what I thought, but nobody said nobody says that, including the district court.
2: That's true. Nobody has raised the form analysis here and I respectfully. You can't say, do
1: this case without a forum analysis. The Supreme Court says start there.
2: Well, Your Honor, the Supreme court is typically considered form analysis in the instances of school boards, but in any event. Uh, what we have here is not just a demand that these people engage in speech at the workshop trainings themselves, but we have an out-and-out requirement
1: that they but go out and… Tell me what kind… is it? Is it a pro- public forum? No, well, Your Honor. Certainly highness, not. No, it's okay. not a public is forum. Is it a private forum? It, Arguably.
2: It, it's a, We think it's the middle-tier forum and the Supreme Court has used… Mi- you mean right. limited public forum? Well, that is, the, I believe, the lower-tier forum, or non-public forum. The Supreme Court has used mixed language when it comes to its form analysis, and I just want to… But it's been very
1: clear on a limited public forum analysis. Right. What's this middle tier? I don't remember that.
2: There's three tiers as outlined by the Supreme Court in the, 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 the Manske decision. That's the Supreme Court's most recent… The uh, Manske decision, that's the Supreme Court's most recent form analysis. But in any event, Your Honor, the form analysis here really doesn't determine the outcome of it, not just because this isn't just limited to the workplace training, but the workplace...
1: Well, if, if you aren't going to tell me what's the form and what's the test, then that's fine. I'll, you, be, I'll be quiet. I'm,
2: I'm trying to explain that the, there is no actual balancing test here because it is a compelled speech instance. And in the Supreme Court...
1: Comp- give me a compelled speech where the, nothing was compelled in public.
2: Uh, Your Honor, a a compelled speech case is the 303 creative case. Uh, That that what? The 303 creative case from this last summer. Now, admittedly, that wasn't a forum case, but our suggestion here is that the compelled speech uh, steps outside that form. I mean, I'm not aware of any case where the Supreme Court has used a form analysis involving compelled
1: speech. No, because there's always, it's always something public has always been compelled
2: Well, Your Honor, in the Janus decision, it considered compelled speech in the context of public employment. And the Supreme Court there specifically said that it couldn't imagine a scenario in which uh, the government could ever satisfy First Amendment scrutiny for employees that aren't offered the option of remaining silent. And that's
3: when the speech is not related to official duties. That's
2: right. That's correct, Your Honor. That's the one qualification that the uh, Supreme Court added to the instruction.
3: Wouldn't training typically be related to official duties, whether
2: it's good or bad training? Uh, Well, it could be. It should be. But the mere fact that they've called it training does not mean it is, in fact, part of their job duties. Indeed, I I think there's a reason why my friend on the other side has never raised job duties as part of their argument. And that's because uh, the Supreme Court said in the Kennedy decision that uh, the government's ability to control the speech of educators in the workplace is not limitless.
0: But, but how, how, this is training about equity and equality for students in a, in a school system, and I'm not sure how that isn't part and parcel of what they're doing, what their mission is at a school.
2: Well, they've certainly never explained in their brief how that could be so. They've never even responded to our argument. So,
0: so is, it, is it your position that that kind of training for ensuring that every student gets an equal education and an equal opportunity is not appropriate for a training session?
2: It certainly be appropriate to have training of that sort, Your Honor. What a school district may never do, however, is compel its employees and pressure them to engage in political advocacy extending into their personal lives.
0: Well, let's talk about the political advocacy. Um, What was the political advocacy?
2: Uh, Affirmation and expressing of support of anti-racism, which the school district itself defined in slide 31 of the training itself as meaning, quote, advocating for change in political economic and social life
0: but is where is it that the school was asking them to agree to that and actually express because as i saw it they said express your views your clients did express their views they didn't like the response of the trainers or maybe co-workers but tell me how they were forced to adopt that statement or say that statement
2: We'll share one. First, most glaringly, uh, the, the, the training concluded with an anti-racist solo write where they were expected to write out what steps they would take to becoming anti-racist. Again, a term that the school district had previously defined as advocating for change in political, economic, and social life. And since that's not something that any government employee can do on the taxpayer dime, that can only be construed as a demand to go out and engage in the district's preferred politics. But uh, let me, let me uh, pause right there and say, under the correct standard for compelled speech, the test is whether or not the government is trying to bring unlawful pressure to bear to get people to speak when they would prefer to remain silent. The test is not whether or not it succeeds in altering speech or belief. There's four points. Let me briefly sketch them out, and I'll try to get with more, some more substance. But the first is there's a right to refrain from speaking altogether, not just to mouth the government's viewpoint.
0: And your clients decided not to speak at times? That's true. Uh, and secondly, the government need not succeed. please su-
1: distinguish between what they did in the training sessions and what you're arguing they were compelled to do elsewhere? Well,
2: what they, what they did at the training session. In,
1: in, in school all the time, instructors are telling students, and I don't care if it's an employee or no, or what, I want you to argue this position. Oh, but, Professor, I can't do that. I don't agree with that. Well, just do me a favor and argue it. I want to make sure you understand what you don't agree with. Yeah, that's a permissible
2: pedagogical tool, Your Honor, but that's quite different than what we have here. Why? Well, first and foremost, there's a command that they go out and engage in political advocacy. And secondly, Wait, wait,
1: wait. a command what?
2: That they go out and engage in political advocacy, Your Honor, on their personal time.
1: A command A that uh, you
2: should do this. Well, Your Honor, the attempts to convince sometimes turn into
1: attempts to coerce. Yes, and but the, the, it isn't injury, in fact, until until unless there's, in fact, coercion. That's true. There so, needs, except in your brief.
2: Your Honor, no, it's true that there needs to be coercion, but coercion does not require punishment or even the threat of punishment. This court said that Give in two Give me an injury, in fact, case you're relying on for that. 281 Care Commission says that the government yeah, need
1: you, you You rattle off these cases, I can't even hear you. What? 281 Care Commission, this court
2: said that neither punishment nor threat of punishment are required. This court is, requir- is uh, was relying on the decision of Bantam Books, and in Bantam Books, the commission there lacked the power to impose a formal punishment. Instead, the question is whether a person would have reasonably feared punishment. And the standard is related by this court in 281 Care Commission is whether their fear of punishment was imaginary or wholly speculative. And
0: and so what is the fear of punishment here?
2: Anytime your employer gives you a demand that you engage in speech or advocacy.
0: Okay, so you're assuming here for the purposes of the answer that it was a demand, which... I think encouragement is different than a demand.
2: That's true. And the, but the, uh, the SPS can cross the line into impermissible coercion through its words and actions. The sort of things that the support. Okay, they
0: can. What did they do?
2: Yes. So it made commands that are non-mandatory, that they both engage in political advocacy and affirm and express support to it. And it gave them unambiguous commands that they must share their personal views on matters of public concern to the training itself. I'll try to address those two things separately well, on I
1: didn't hear what the fear was.
2: Well, the fear would be a, a, a fear of punishment from your employer if you disobey the commands from the government employer. A person naturally... Fe- well,
1: what's your best case for, for just, I say I'm afraid, therefore I'm injured in fact.
2: Well, again, in 281 Care Commission, the standard is actually whether or not uh, the plaintiff... Un- I don't
1: care about dicta. I care about factual holdings.
2: Well, let me give uh, one uh, recent 11th Circuit opinion. It's Speechverse v. Cartwright. That case concerned uh, biased response teams that had no power to impose a punishment. And in the uh, Cartwright case, the 11th Circuit said that having your speech labeled as offensive, negative, harmful, let alone hateful or biased, are all forms of intimidation that could cause a reasonable person to opt for self-censorship. And that actually very much fits what happened here. Of course, Miss Henderson and Mrs. Lumley succumbed to the district pressures that they engage in speech. They were told, Speaker, you will be called upon, and they were they, told that if you— They we, weren't
0: called upon, were they?
2: Well, they weren't because they were told, Speaker, you will be called upon, and, and they
0: And then they didn't speak, and they wouldn't. I, I just think that's kind of a mixed bag there.
2: Well, it's certainly an unambiguous command that they speak, and it was accompanied by uh, further pressure in the form that they were told that silence, at least on the part of white people, would be construed as an endorsement of white supremacy. Well,
0: is that exactly right? I mean, I think that that the, that the, the, the slides you're talking about are sort of the idea of white supremacy in our culture and silence when you see things happening, how you respond or don't respond. But I understood at the training, they weren't saying that if you don't talk, you're a white supremacist. I think they were sometimes saying, well, why don't you sit and reflect on this? Nobody speak. Or let's share our views. But those two seem things seem to be different. Silence in a training and silence as it was explained is relevant to the trainer's view to white supremacy and supremacy. In the society,
2: it certainly doesn't amount to an imaginary fear when people see a slide put up by their employer that says white silence is a form of white supremacy. And this was accompanied by oral speech. For instance, Ms. Henderson put in her declaration that she was told denying your privilege is a form of white supremacy. And the slideshows themselves define anti racism and say the opposition of this
1: is individual racism. Well, so I agree with you, it would, it would instill a desire I don't think I want to work here. But I don't think it's injury in fact.
2: Well, Your Honor, I respectfully disagree, at least based on the Cartwright decision, having your speech labeled in that way.
1: That's not controlling, of course.
2: Well, it's not controlling, but Your Honor, um, what is controlling is this court's opinion in 281 Care Commission, which again speaks about injury in fact occurring so long as the fear of punishment is not imaginary.
1: 281
2: Care Commission, I, 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 I can't remember the specific facts, but it was a law in question um, that was involved there. But that standard hails from the Supreme Court's decision in both Babbitt and Bantam books. It so doesn't. Nothing it.
1: easier in the First Amendment than to find friendly dicta.
2: <laughs> well, nevertheless, your Honor, I think at a minimum it shows that the claim here was not clearly and indisputably meritless, um, which is the standard the district court had to find before finding frivolity.
3: The judge seemed to be concerned that if this claim proceeded, then many claims involving training could proceed. Is there a limiting principle on your argument that would respond to that? And in connection with that, assume the training were more in line with what your clients would view as proper uh, anti-racism training, that uh, uh, all men and women are created equal and uh, colorblindness is the sine qua non of anti-racism and so forth. some employee bought into the oppression matrix and objected to the training that you would feel is more appropriate, would that would we have a claim then from the
2: opposite side? If it involved a demand that they go out and engage in political advocacy or affirm an ideology, then yes, we would have a claim regardless of so That's the outside of the school.
3: But I thought you were also arguing just within the training session, people were injured because They uh, wouldn't want to say they agree with colorblindness or they would be chastised if they said, I think white people are – you know, uh, in a certain place on the
2: oppression matrix and so forth. Would that apply the other way around, too? Yeah, I think that involves speech on a matter of public concern, and it would apply. I think the contours to the, Judge Colleton, your larger question, are what are the parameters of this? And I think it's well laid out in the um, public employee free speech context. It has to be speech on a matter of public concern, and it has to lay uh, outside the scope of their job duties before we even get to the final step of Pickering.
1: So in the school district could set up. We expect our employees, if ever asked about the point, to say, I believe in democracy. And a uh, one who believes in totalitarianism now has a claim.
2: I think both of them potentially have a claim if they're asking them to advocate for a belief system. Well, what's
1: advocacy? Well, I, I think I if you're... It in terms of if, if the subject comes up in public, I would expect you since you're known to be an employee of our school district, to support democracy as opposed to totalitarianism.
2: I think that runs afoul of West Virginia v. Barnett, as well as the Keyesian case. In the Keyesian case, the Supreme Court said that you can't even ask an English teacher to sign a note that he's not a subversive. And here we're extending uh, the scenario to um, their personal opinions outside of the workplace when they're not speaking as a district employee. I think that that's... I
1: put it in terms we expect you, you know, I intentionally phrased it as not a demand. If it's accompanied by what <clears throat> we
2: have here in the record of a showing that the district's expectations will be accompanied by all sorts of actionable metrics that rate their job performance, then yes. Oh,
1: yeah, but, uh, okay. I, I, I know the arguments, and frankly, I'm not persuaded by it, that there was coercion of the kind that is required because we've got modules and all this stuff, and you have to check a box have to do something affirmative in private.
2: Most workplace training for government employees, Your Honor, does not require them to offer their personal opinions on matters of public concern. And You then, say that, I mean... <laughs> are they offering their
3: personal opinions, or are they repeating back to the trainer what they understand the trainer wants the... Wants them to understand well of course if
2: that was true that would be a textbook instance of having their speech compelled even Um, within a training program if you say uh, on speech
3: to to an employee uh, you know I want you to draft draft an opinion on this case that's affirming or reversing even though you disagree with it I want you to write it up on this matter of public concern
2: I think telling them that they need to share their personal views on a matter of public concern crosses a clear First Amendment line as well as telling them that they're expected to affirm support for an ideology and advocate for it in their personal time. So the
1: military routinely violates the First Amendment.
2: No, I disagree with that, Your Honor. The job duties inquiry for the military is very different than the job duties inquiry for an educator. In the uh, Kennedy decision, the um, court said that the test for public employees is whether or not their job duties are ordinarily within the scope of that employee uh, and what's ordinarily within the scope of a soldier is very different from what's ordinarily within the scope of employment for a 504 process coordinator and a record secretary. My time is up. Is Thank there are no further questions. Thank you.
1: Ms. Fowler?
4: May I Please the court. <clears throat> Good morning. I am Tina Fowler. I, along with Mr. Ransom Ellis, am counsel for the defendants. You're gonna I- have to speak up for me. <clears throat> I apologize. Oh, there's a, there is a microphone. <laughs> and there's a lectern.
1: The lectern moves. Okay.
4: I represent the defendants, the Appleeze, the school district, uh, Springfield School District R12, along with its Board of Education, Dr. Garcia Pusateri, Dr. Latham, and Mr. Anderson. Uh, I would like to address um, some points that were just made with reference to the arguments made by the plaintiff's uh, appellants. Uh, We have submitted that this case is in the context of a public school setting, and the context is training. Um, This is training. And the court has asked about a case that, you know, factually, is there a case on, on point here? I think the reason that there is not a case that is directly factually on point here is because there was no punishment here. So the case that's probably most akin factually to this case, which is is a case where that did involve punishment, is the Altman case with, with reference um, to which Judge Loken wrote the opinion. Because in that case, there was punishment. So the court did have to undergo the Pickering analysis and look if there was a, a free speech violation in that case. So you look at this case. The primary issue here is not that they had to attend. The primary issue is that they didn't like the view. Um, they've made no bones about the fact that they do not agree with anti-racism. So this case is not about the school district telling them what they have to do in their private lives with reference to that principle. Wasn't this,
3: there some discussion in the training about communicating these things in their private lives? Th-
4: it was with reference I don't recall it being exactly something that had to say they had to say it in their, their private lives. It's more along the lines of just general acceptance of all peoples, all persons, sensitivity issues, those types of things. And there was never any type of punishment associated with any, any type of expression.
0: What about the concern about, it, it, it was throughout the briefs, about loss of professional credit, Uh, Loss of pay, and it was unclear. Some called it a docking of pay.
4: Sometimes it just, you weren't going to be paid. What about that threat? With reference to that, it's just attendance. You only had to attend. If you attended, you were paid. And the record clearly reflects that certain employees did not attend, and they were not paid. The pay was not conditioned on the message. It never was conditioned on the message. It it was conditioned on being
0: engaged or remaining professional. Is that fair? Wasn't there something that you could
4: be asked to leave, lose the credit if you were not professional? Right, professional. Just we want you to come and be professional. It was never tagged to you have to believe this. You have to have a belief in this to receive receive the pay. That, that that's exactly right.
3: I think and what he's referring to is the definition that these trainers gave of anti racism, which was to actively oppose racism by advocating for changes in political, economic, and social life. So I think the argument is the people were told that they district was training them to engage in anti-racism, which involved advocating for change in political, economic, and social life. Wouldn't that be outside of the workplace?
4: I guess if you took it to to that extreme, but there was never any type of, of detriment or we have to check a box to agree with this or we have to affirm this. And if you look at the facts in the case, there, they were never called upon. They were never asked to actually check a box that they, that they agreed with any of that. They freely expressed their opinions, and in fact, they, they rejected the the opinions that that were put forth um, during the training, and they weren't asked to leave. And you know, part of this case is they've suggested that there was some type of subjective chill associated with that. Oh, we did speak up, and then we were we were hushed, and we were told we can't speak any longer. So then our speech was was chilled because we thought the threat was there. And 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 going back to this, the the two eighty one um, case, which was. Uh, before Judge Colleton, there actually, there was a threat there because they said, hey, we are going to violate the, st- the statute. We are going to um, exaggerate about this ballot initiative. There was not a, a similar threat here. And going back to the subjectives chill piece, they claimed that they had to hush up, but if you look at their actions, they're directly contrary. Um, in fact, Ms. Henderson, uh, one of the plaintiffs in this case, after this training she spoke with a, a board candidate objecting to the training. She said, I don't agree with the principles. I do not agree with anti-racism. Um, does the school been, board,
3: by the way, endorse this?
4: It, it was, yes, it was uh, a, it a, does? a a program that was implemented as part of the, one of the strategies, the focus, the focus 5 strategies to enhance awareness. It arose... But I mean, after, does
3: the school board endorse this particular training involving oppression matrixes and the definition of white supremacy that's used here and so forth
4: i mean i don't know that if it actually went went before the board what i do know is that the the board um pardon me that the board uh it, it said we need to uh enhance um training with reference to these right, i heard issues. you say
3: that yes. that's at a more general level right right but i i thought maybe this had come before the board this is what your administrators are doing
4: well, I believe it, it I believe it you know, ultimately, whether it whether it came before Miss Henderson spoke to the board or not um, it, did, it did come before the board that there was a concern about, about this particular training and she expressed those concerns. The interim superintendent um, was there, not the regular superintendent, so she sent an email uh, after the fact complaining even further. And, and the point to all of that is there is no subjective chill here. They clearly spoke their views. They weren't afraid to speak their views. Um, and, and nothing happened to them. They, they never lost any type of pay. They were never reprimanded. They were never counseled. They were never spoken to. Um, they, they were never hushed, nor, nor was any, any, any other employee for that matter. And if you look at the context of, of this in the scope of what they're basically asking you to do, No court, to my knowledge, has ever struck down requiring employees to comply with lawful policies and trainings that are designed to educate the employees with reference to discrimination in the workplace. The exception is if there's some type of adverse action taken against the employee, such as in the Altman case. Um, In that case, there can be a First Amendment violation because an adverse action is taken against the employee. But in this case, if you accept what they're asking this court to do, they're basically asking you to strike down the district's lawful policies. That's what they're asking you to do. And that that's Pandora's box that's as the district court said that's untenable that means any employee that has any disagreement with anything that's presented to them in a lawful training could result in in litigation and a lawsuit um, it basically means that, that, a, that a public employer c- couldn't put forth lawful policies it couldn't instruct its employees how to, to appropriately yes. Um, handle themselves in the workplace. And this particular case is, is one of the things that you have to step back at it and look at it too. What was the purpose? The purpose was the students. It's a perception case. It's not any different than my boss coming to me and saying, we believe that you you, know, you sexually harassed this person or you discriminated against this person. And I say, no, I didn't. I don't think I did that. And the response is, well, but they believe you did. So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about when you look at white supremacy. What if this was a
1: hiring policy? Pardon me. What if this was a hiring policy?
4: In the sense of,
1: I'm not going to hire you if you don't believe uh, believe in this definition of anti racism.
4: Well, I guess I guess the answer would be be to that would be then you would definitely be tacking on. Um, adverse action you're not
1: punishing well yes yeah action. i
4: mean that that would be the difference there you would be actually tacking on you know adverse action which did not which did not occur in this case and so if you look at again back at the perception that's the point of this training you may not mean it that way but someone could perceive it that way and if you look at the white pers- uh, the covert over at white supremacy um, slide here but, which but is the, one that they the make it link
1: would be different wouldn't it there wouldn't in in hiring, there there wouldn't be compelled speech, uh, and and there wouldn't there wouldn't be um, there are the other basis for their claim. True. Chill. Right. There wouldn't be chilling, and there wouldn't be compelled speech. Right. Right. But you're acknowledging it would know way well, and if done in, by a state actor
4: under color of state law, it'd be actionable. It, yes, Th- that, I would agree with that. <clears throat> yes. Much better analysis than I gave.
3: Um, What what did it mean when it said in the materials that if people didn't act professionally, then they'd be asked to leave and denied credit
0: for the training?
3: What, What does it mean to act professionally? Can you refuse to accept the training and act professionally, or would that be unprofessional?
4: I believe you could absolutely you could refuse to to accept the the, the training. Um, you know, you, you, you could have left. They could they could have they could have left the training. I, to my couldn't. knowledge, no I one. I thought
3: they were required to attend.
4: Well, they just wouldn't have been paid if they left.
3: Well, that would be an adverse action then, if they weren't paid.
4: Well, but it, it, it was additional pay. It was supplemental pay. It was it was an addition. It was an addition to what their 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 regular hours.
3: It was additional pay. It was like overtime pay.
4: No, it was it was pay that was negotiated through a collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> um, it was it was supplemental pay.
3: Supplemental pay for training.
4: For training, yes. It was very. It was specifically additional to specific hours. Yes. And, and there was option-
3: time. So you're saying it was optional for the employees.
4: It and it was it was. Optional- they need to
3: get the credit to keep their jobs? They
4: they. Well, no, they didn't have to keep... No, it wasn't about keeping their jobs. It was just about being paid for training. There was never any threat that you, you're going to lose your job if you don't attend this training. And in fact, the record shows that there were certain employees that didn't, didn't attend, attend the training. and but they, they just, had
3: a right to uh,
4: right, they had they a had right, a right. to, to do yes. it and
3: to get paid for it. Right, that's yeah. right.
4: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. They had a right to attend it to, to basically but get paid for it. But they would be
3: excluded and dock the pay if they were not professional according to the guidance, as I understood it, they'd be asked to leave. I, if they. I were. don't
4: look at it as a docking. I think that if they if they were unprofessional, not based on their view, again, this is not based on your view. If you're unprofessional and for some reason someone asked you to leave, you're just not in attendance. It's, right. it's, not, well, a, it's well, not a docking of pay. I was just
3: trying to understand what professionalism means in this context.
1: I'd say it's amateurish. I mean, it, it, either, it either means something bad or it has no practical meaning at all.
4: Right, right. And, and to my knowledge, everyone was professional.
1: And, and probably the person that, that authored it hoped it would be taken as something bad.
4: I can't, I, can't, I can't speak to that, but I want to make a point on the white supremacy chart with reference to that. The trainer specifically, and it's in the record, the trainer specifically told the individuals that we are not calling you white supremacist. Um, I mean, that is, that is specifically in the record. Um, there wasn't any, any indication that that was going on. I will re- re- refer the court to um, 1970 um, with reference to that.
3: Well, how, how could they say that if they said they defined colorblindness as white supremacy and one of the employees was saying, that's my view?
4: But that is, they can say that. They can say that's their view, but they can also say that if you say that's your view, that could be perceived by somebody as white persim- per- white, persim- white supremacy. That's, that's all that is is to say this is a perception. It's just like the example I gave earlier, I, I didn't know that you perceived my comment as derogatory, but you did. It, 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 it's, it's the same thing. And so I, I could be you know I could be accused of, of, of being of discriminating. I could be accused of being a white supremacist when I didn't mean that at all. That's not that's not the way that that I meant it, and I know we it's have an. A, att-
1: it's an attempt to intimidate,
4: and it may well not
1: cause actual injury, but it's to me highly offensive.
4: Well, with reference to um, whether it w- it was offensive, and and the employees may have disagreed with it there wasn't any requirement that they adopt the view. And and, and the, the record is very clear on that. There is no, Well, didn't no, they have
3: to answer questions that would be deemed correct or incorrect?
4: That was and, only- and only
3: the correct answers would be the ones adopting the view of this training?
4: That was only with reference to online modules, which were separate from this training. And those questions were, were benign questions. They were questions about what do you do when you see xenophobia in the classroom? Uh, those types of things. And they but were just... They
1: were entirely separate?
4: I thought they were part the of... Online, the-, the online questions that Ms. Henderson took were separate from the two hours of training.
3: What um, was she, why was she doing them if they were not part of the training?
4: Uh, it was a separate, uh, with reference to her job classification, it was, a, it was a separate program for certain job classifications to do as part of, uh, that they would do outside of the two hours, and she was paid for those. And it wasn't the same training. It was different from the tr- the slides and the training that that we're that we're talking about here within the two hours. I w- I'm, I'm out of time, but I would ask that that the court please um, uphold the district. Well, I, I have
1: I have one question that I want because it's it's on the, an important but different question. And would you would you agree? that it took the discovery in this case to establish there was no injury in fact, if if, if indeed that, that is affirmed.
4: <coughs> I would agree with that, yes. Yes. I would agree. And that strikes
1: me as highly relevant Yes, attorney's fees.
4: Yes. That means as pleaded, it
1: was not frivolous. At, at the end of the pipeline, it looked to the district court like it was frivolous you disagree with that?
4: Under this court's precedent and interpretations, yes I do. Because there have been courts, including this court, that has said you have to, like the Flowers case, you have to push aside the smoke screen before you can really see what's there. And then the case has been found as frivolous and attorney's fees have been awarded in that case yes what
3: case is on point here that would show that this sort of claim is frivolous and this training seems to be unprecedented as far as i can tell in any reported decision is there anything comparable that would have alerted the plaintiffs that this is clearly outside the realm of compelled speech even if you're ultimately right on the on the merits
4: I believe or on that, standing. I'm sorry. go ahead. Or on
3: standing, even if you're ultimately right on one of those two points.
4: I believe that the court's this court's decision in Bond versus Keck um, is 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 on point factually. In that case, the the judge in that particular case, as did the the judge in this case, basically questioned early on whether the case had had factual standing, and they continued to push forward with the litigation. Is, and, is
1: that did you say Bond versus Keck? Yes, sir you're just saying that's a
3: case where the judge raised the question early but that's not a case that would show this type of, this claim itself is frivolous
4: well but in this particular case the judge raised this very question early within a couple of months of this case being filed for those exact reasons and assel's very poignant those very very poignant questions with reference to you know it, was there any case out there that showed this training was unlawful, or, you know, did the people uh, involved still work for the school district, etc.? So was the,
0: was the concern on the standing, the injury in fact, is that the frivolousness of the case, just whether or not there there was any um, recognizable harm?
4: Right. I, yes, I believe that's that's true. Yes. Any further questions? I would ask that the court please uphold the district court in all respect with reference to his summary geor- judgment order and its order awarding the district its um, reasonable attorney's fees. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Mr. Busick, any time? His time had expired, I'll, g- I'll give you a couple minutes.
2: I appreciate the extra time, Your Honor. Just to make a couple of points. First, uh, it seems to be undisputed that the the position that SPS has staked out is that the absence of punishment here is dispositive. And yet it is black-letter law from the Supreme Court in Bantam Books that informal sanctions are sufficient to chill speech. And the Supreme Court in Bantam Books goes on to say that that might be coercion, that might be intimidation, and that might also just be persuasion that crosses the line. And to Judge Loken's point uh, to opposing counsel, he raised the fact that this looked like an attempt to intimidate. And an attempt to intimidate is more than adequate to cause a reasonable person to self-censor. This was highly charged training, and that fact alone shows that Ms. Henderson and Mrs. Lonely stated a viable theory of injury. I'll quickly address a couple of factual things just to clean up. On the supplemental pay issue, this whole thing is an attempt to backfill what they actually said to these plaintiffs. There's a record entry at record entry 77.6, which is an email that went out that says the training is mandatory, and if you are not there, then your pay will be docked. That's what they were telling employees, and that's what employees thought. Nobody had any realistic sense that they just couldn't come to this training and they wouldn't get paid as much. They were also told... um, Uh, There were several questions asked about the command to act professionally or leave and what that meant. Courts note that imprecision in a speech policy is something that only serves to heighten and exacerbate the chilling effect. And that's (coughs) present here because of that uh, threat that you must stay professional and nobody (coughs) knows what that means. The final points I'll touch on is my opposing counsel said no other employee felt this way. This is a very revealing email exchange found at record entry 77-17 that relates how other employees are are fearing to talk because of how they'll be treated, and it even resulted in an additional trainee crying in response to the training and the the trainee's dismissive views of uh, her sincerely held convictions. My time is up if there are no further questions. Well, one factual question.
3: Is it is it accurate that these modules that are talked about in the briefs that had the correct and incorrect answers are different from the two-hour training session?
2: That's correct. Yeah. That was correct. Ms. Henderson had to undergo additional training owing to her duties as a 504 process coordinator. Um, however, these were not limited to modules where you're supposed to just demonstrate your knowledge of a specific policy, even though those modules themselves embedded... Um, embedded anti-racism in the answers. For instance, Ms. Henderson was assigned a cultural competency self-assessment, where she had to rate her own cultural competency. And in it, it, she said that as a uh, white person, she could not be perceived as an unbiased ally by a person of color just owing to her race. She didn't believe that, but she answered it anyway to satisfy the district. And this means that even if it was necessary to show that the district's pressure succeeded in altering speech or belief as the district court seemed to believe, even that showing was met here. And of course, a finding that there's any dispute in fact here results in, should revolt in reversal of the award of summary judgment.
0: Did she have- have to answer that way to get through the module
2: that particular module there's no indication that she had to answer it any particular way
0: and, but she, and would anybody have known how she did they score it or
2: yes now there's been some dispute about that in the record but i believe there's proof from Ms. henderson uh that shows that they knew when she completed or failed to complete the training modules. well
0: completing but the right. actual answers
2: I don't know that that was ever told to them one way or the other. I think the district's taken the position that they were anonymous and they didn't know. But I think that's irrelevant for um, purposes of whether or not a person was intimidated into giving the views that it thought the government wanted to hear.
3: Why wouldn't any training require the person to give the views the employer wants to hear? Well, as long as it's... The employer wants the employee to understand this is our policy. I mean, if you take it out of this this thing, and you put it in just, you know, here's how we want you to do your job. Maybe the employee doesn't agree with that, but that's how the boss wants them to do it, so they've got to show they understand it. Isn't yeah, that, the, isn't that, that's not compelled speech, is it?
2: No, I, and I think the reason why is because that's speech ordinarily within the job duties of a particular employee, but at a minimum, that workplace training has to be about their obligations in the workplace, and even a cursory view of this training shows that it was far, far more than that, such as having her rate her own cultural competency. Remember in the Kennedy case of uh, just last summer, that case concerned a um, football coach whose speech was in the workplace, and the uh, Supreme Court rejected the argument that just because he's a role model, it meant that uh, the government could control his speech. Going all the way back to Garcetti, the Supreme Court has cautioned that public employers cannot sidestep the important protections of the First Amendment just by crafting unnecessarily broad job descriptions. And the same would be true of training.
1: Thank you, Your Honor. Yeah. Go ahead. I appreciate the you, course counsel. time. Um, interesting case and novel, somewhat novel issue. If there is so, such a thing in the First Amendment.
2: I would certainly <laughs> I agree, Your and Honor, and I appreciate
1: your course well, well, course time. And argued. We'll take it under advisement. Thank you, Your Honor.